Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast. Wherever you are right now listening to this, I want to thank you for your support. In this podcast, you'll get my views on lifestyle, self-improvement, and business, all in an aim to unlocking your confidence and helping you feel the best you can every day of your life. Also, at any time during this podcast or if any of my videos have helped you in the past, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on the platform you're listening to this. Five stars, of course, would be awesome, but I'll leave that up to you. Every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. So lock in and enjoy today's episode. So hey, Paul here, who works with Aaron on the podcast. And this episode today brings you back-to-back Tiege Hanley vlogs, where Aaron discusses, firstly, how to find money to start your business, and then secondly, selling your business for $235 million. We thought that putting these back-to-back would be a good, insightful episode for you. How do you start your business, and how do you work towards selling it for potentially $235 million? So sit back, enjoy these Tiege Hanley vlogs, and we've got more exciting episodes and interviews coming up very soon. You know how Mondays are hard? (laughs) Well, this week, I feel like I've literally had four Mondays. Every day has been just like, ugh. Like, at the end of the day, for the past four days, I've just been like, oh my gosh, Calgon, take me away. Gentlemen, welcome back to the T. Shanley. Do you guys remember that Calgon, take me away, or am I dating myself? Gentlemen, welcome back. The T. Shanley, starting a business, building a brand vlog, this one big, number 240, what? Six, exactly. And I have had one hell of a week. It's just been a hard week. You know how some weeks, it's just like, it's just been a week. It seems like one thing after another, one fire after another, one problem after another, and I'm tired. I am tired, tired, tired. I'm so tired, and here's something that, that, <laughs> that I did last night that I don't normally do. I, got, I had such a, like a crappy day yesterday that I went home and I'm like, I need a drink. And I get it, right? I went and I poured myself a bourbon on, a, on ice. It, it, is, uh, it, is, it is one of my drinks that I enjoy, right? A bourbon, the bourbon that I was drinking is a bourbon called Eagle Rare. Uh, for you guys out there that are bourbon drinkers, Eagle Rare is, is probably my favorite. Anyway, you know, I get home, my wife was in bed, and, and my routine now has sort of changed a little bit. Um, you know, I, I come to the office, I work all day, I get home around like 5.30 or 6, I typically then will go down into my basement, I've got a little home gym, thankfully, and I'll work out for about 35, 40 minutes, and then I pop on my earphones and I go for a walk. And I'll walk typically to the building that I'm renovating. I'll go just to see what the progress is, and there's something for me about just walking, being outside, and just having like music on, and, and just sort of unwinding. This is a way that I have... I have learned that it really helps me. It helps me emotionally to sort of just like decompress. So I'll go for about an hour walk. I'll come home, I'll get a shower, I'll make myself dinner, and then I will sit and work. Typically I'm gonna be editing until like nine, 10, sometimes 11 o'clock at night. Anyway, last night I decided, you know what? I need a drink, I, I wanted a drink. And so I typically do not drink during the week. I'll have like a glass of wine on Friday night, um, possibly on Saturday night. Typically it's like one glass of wine or if at most, like if I'm going out and I'm feeling frisky, I might have two. I um, haven't been going out and so it's been less. Anyway, last night, I got it. All of a sudden, like, I understood. I'm like, now I understand why people have drinks at the end of a long day to unwind. It really helped, honestly. I felt more relaxed. I was like, all right, I'm going to actually shut my computer down. This all can wait tomorrow 
or till tomorrow. And I, I put my computer away at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock and I just hung out and, and, and watched a documentary. And it was lovely. It was a lovely evening and I definitely needed it. But then today, back at it, everything's going well. I filmed my video like super early in the morning and then everything started to collapse around me and I had another Monday. Gentlemen, I am so glad to be here with you talking about you because what I'm gonna do now is get to some of your business questions. There was one from last vlog and then a few from the vlog before. Ugh, seriously though, it's just been one of those weeks and I think it's kind of like everything just like weighing on me. You know, like this whole like quarantine home thing and everybody like, you know, business is going out of business and, and just, it's been hard. It's been hard to watch. It's been hard to be a part of and, and I miss people, honestly. I miss hugging my mom. I miss, you know, just going to dinner and not thinking about it and being all weird if somebody gets, you know, within six feet of me. Anyway, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm explaining it to you. Anyway, the first business question comes from our friend Gary Hernandez, self-defense and urban survival. He says, Aaron, my question is, when you first started doing promotions for companies, did you start off by getting the free products instead of cash payments? And if so, when did, when did you know the time was right to make the decision for cash payments? Because I, and I am sure the companies know it's cheaper for a company just to give you free stuff to promote um, as opposed to cash payments. So, yes, when I first started doing promotions, the first, literally the first promotion that I did was for my friend Paul. He was in the UK and he had a, um, he had like an online store called like Brighter Man. And what he sold was like men's accessories. And so he saw that I was doing YouTube videos and so he reached out, he's like, hey, I've got this, this company I do, you know, I, I sell, you know, things like scarves and bracelets and watches and wallets and things of that nature. Would you be interested in, if I sent you some product, would you talk about it? And I was like, hell yeah, you want to send me free product? This is amazing. Mind you, this was back in like 2009. And so it was very early on, on in my YouTube career. So he sent me this like, this like purple scarf. I remember it. It was like the first thing I ever promoted. It was the purple scarf. And I'm like, oh, how to accessorize with the scarf, right? And apparently he, and, and he is a good friend of mine now. I still, actually he, he helps me out. He works for um, Enemy and he also works for um, me and helps me with like Instagram and stuff like that. Anyway, long story short, He's like, yo, this works like crazy. I apparently ended up sending him a ton of business and he sold, like, sold out of these like, kind of ugly like purple scarves. And then he sent me another uh, like, stuff and, and I promoted it a little bit more. And it was fun, right? It was like, oh my God, somebody's actually sending me free stuff. Fast forward about a year and then the quantity of free stuff started to increase, right? I started to get more stuff and then it was something where it's like, I can't talk about all this free stuff. Then came um, my, my official like first sponsor and it was a company called Blank Label and it was a shirt company. And the way that it worked, you plugged in your measurements. It was early days of like online like made to measure clothing. And this guy, Fan B, I remember his name. Fan B reached out, he's like, hey, would you like a shirt? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I got the shirt and he's like, would you like to do like an Alpha M collection? And I'm like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And he's like, what we'll also do is pay you a few hundred dollars I think a month, if you would put like our label or logo on the front of your videos, front and back of your videos and link to us down below. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. And that was my first like payment. And I was so excited to actually get money. And I believe it literally was $200 a month. Um, you know, in terms of when you know when it's time to sort of like flip that switch and, and, and start charging, 
it's really up to you. It's up to you know, what you feel is, is right and what you feel is the right time. Personally, yes, you're absolutely right. It is a lot cheaper for a company to be like, here you go, would you like to have some free product? Get the free product and talk about it. The problem is, is that there are, you know, there, there aren't many influencers or people in this like space that are doing things for free product anymore. There are some like micro influencers and stuff, but the problem is that all of these people that have, you know, large channels or even like small channels are getting offers to, to do promotions for money. At this point, the game has changed. It used to be where you could send people free products and oftentimes they would talk about it, they would mention. But now the, the times have, have definitely changed. Even small like micro influencers or people that have like a very small following, they're getting offers for money. And so trying to get them to actually promote things just for a free product, it, it's not happening as much as it, it used to. Um, now, that being said, there are some smaller channels that just want to talk about products. They want free products, and so they will actually reach out to like T. Shanley, Pete and Pedro, Enemy, and say, hey, I've got this channel. I'd love to promote your products. Would you be interested? Now, the reason why this is a good idea, if you guys are new and you're starting off and you, you have a channel and you're trying to grow it, reach out to a brand that you love and say, hey, if you send me the product, I'd love to talk about it, right? Oftentimes what they'll do is they will give you an affiliate link where if you sell product, you're going to actually get a commission. And this is awesome, right? The other upside to doing this, if you have a code or if you have like a tracking link, these companies can actually see that, yo, this dude sent me a ton of traffic. You can then go back to them and say, hey, would you be interested in sponsoring a video? At this point then, you could actually charge money. Or if it works for them, like seriously, they're gonna come back to you and say, hey, would you like some more free product? We'd be, we'd be happy to give it to you. And then you can say, nah, I would like some cash, please. But in terms of when and how, it's really a personal, individual thing. I don't know um, what the answer is. Really, it just kind of like happened for me. And at first, it was all about the free product. I was loving getting free product. Now, you can keep your free product. I got more product than I know what to do with. Now, you know, it's about, it's about paying my bills. And so, um, it really boils down to, to you, your business, and the offers that you're getting, and how you're going about, and how you're monetizing your, your channel, or your, your influence, as it would be. And before we get into the next business question, I gotta tell you about the recent video that we dropped at T. Shanley. It's all about how to choose the best deodorant for dudes. Gentlemen, if you wanna check that video out, it will be listed and linked down below. Now, what I wanna do is talk about another question um, that we got on two vlogs ago, and it's about money, as in how to start a business if you don't have much of it. So the question comes from our friend Gopala Guru. I'm sorry for butchering this. He says, what was the working capital when you started Pete and Pedro and Tiege? How did you build the initial capital? So. Two different businesses, two different amounts of money required. When I started Pete and Pedro, it was literally for like $3,000. Um, it was a little amount of money. I didn't need much. I was just trying to you know, order my initial product. I ordered like five different products. I ordered, I think, 196 units of each product. I had a website set up. It was very little money. And so I saved up for that. Tiege Hanley, on the other hand, was a different animal. Um, Kelly was the one who put up the money for starting T. Shanley. Um, he had put up money starting like T. Shanley version one. He also then, want, and, and this is something that I didn't clarify two vlogs ago. Two vlogs ago, I was talking about the dark days of T. Shanley and Alpha M. If you guys missed that video, 
I would definitely check it out. We'll probably link to it down below. Anyway, I talked about how T. Shanley was started by Robin Kelly, and they started this different concept of T. Shanley, selling other people's products in a box to people, and it didn't really work. Well, Kelly had put up a bunch of money for that. It was already an entity. When we decided to actually do this again and join, join forces, include me, and with Rob Kelly and the chemist, and start a new T. Shanley, a new company, they ended up shutting down that business. And then we ended up um, starting a new company in order to basically distribute equity and get you know, the equity that everybody needed and all that good stuff. But with that, one of the things that Kelly was putting up was the money to actually start T. Shanley. And I believe he was committing to, I, I can't remember 100%, but I believe it was, I think it was like $150,000. I think that's what it was, either 150 or 250. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Kelly brought the money to the table saying, hey, for our operating capital, I've got the money, this is what we're gonna do. Now, the beautiful thing is that, um, you know, Kelly was successful. He had a business, he had a career before, and so he did very well, and so he had this money to actually spend. Now, most people do not have $100,000, $200,000 in order to start a business. So what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? The first way, I would recommend you develop your operating capital to start a business, depending on the business, because that's the other thing. Depending on what you're doing, this is also going to dictate how much money you need to start the business, how much inventory you need, how much technology you need. Um, with T. Shanley, we had a lot of product, we had a you know space, we had you know, relatively, not huge expense, but there was definitely expenses um, that we needed to. And then the beautiful thing with Tej is that we just kept spending the money that we were making, putting it back into the company, and that's how we grew it. We have yet to raise any money. We have basically funded our growth and we still maintain that we are, you know, or maintain, we are still profitable, very profitable, which is, is kind of rare. But back to what I was saying, if you are going to be starting a business, the one way that I would recommend is save up if you can. You know, now, if you need like hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're making $20,000 a year, chances of you saving up that amount of money, it's going to take you forever. And so it's probably not an option. But the reason why you raising your own money or saving your own money in order to start your business is the best way is that A, I think you're going to take it more seriously. B, you know, you've got all of your equity. You don't have to give any of it away. And then you are responsible for your own, you know, failure or success. I think when people raise a lot of money or get a lot of money through outside investors, you don't take it as serious oftentimes. Um, Kevin O'Leary says that he doesn't like companies that have raised a lot of money because he feels that when companies are fat and sassy, right, they got lots of cash from like angel investors or venture capital money, you know, they, they end up not taking it as seriously, they're not pinching the pennies as hard, and they end up wasting a lot of money because they've got it. But when you are responsible for the money that you're raising, you know, you're really tight with that. You watch the pennies and you're very disciplined in how you spend it, or at least you should be. The second way that you can actually raise money to start your business is friends and family, right? You go to your friend, you go to your mom, you go to your dad and say, yo, I wanna start this business, would you be willing to lend me money? now?" Unfortunately, this is a tough situation. Um, Damon John on Shark Tank, he talks often about when he was starting the company FUBU, his mom was like, I'm going to go get a second mortgage out on my house or something like that. She borrowed money against her home in order to give her son a loan to start this business. And, you know, obviously it was successful, but he had somebody in his corner that was willing to basically take a chance, a huge chance on 
you know, the idea or, or, you know, or her son. And I love stories like that. You know, maybe you have people in your life that you could actually go to and ask for a loan, or you could ask them to be one of your investors. The second way that you could actually raise money is go to a bank, right? Go to a bank that you have a relationship with and say, hey, I'm looking for a small business loan, or I'm looking for a line of credit. A lot of people do fund their businesses also through credit cards, right? Now, this is something where if that's all you got, if that's the only way that you can do it, then, then that is an option, which is why it is critical for you to have good credit, all right? That's the one thing that you need to understand. In order for you to get money from people, regardless of if it's loans from friends or family or institutional money, you've got to make sure that your credit score and your credit is good. You've got to be credit worthy. And so if you're somebody who isn't paying their bills or you've got high interest credit cards, you're just not paying, gentlemen, this is going to hurt you moving forward because people are going to think that you're not going to repay him because honestly, you're not. People are going to think, they're like, yo, if I lend him money, he's not going to pay me back because he's got a bad credit score. And that is the reason why having a good credit score is important. It lets other people know that you are credit worthy and that you're willing or that they should be willing to actually take a chance on you because chances are you're going to repay that loan. Now, um, banks, once again, we've talked in detail before about developing a relationship with your bank. If you are starting a business, right, go to your bank and say, hey, I'm going to be needing money. This is what I'm looking for. What do I need to do in order to get this loan? Um, oftentimes, the small community banks are going to be more apt to help a small business person as opposed to a big bank like a Wachovia or SunTrust, the Bank of America. They have more regulations revolving around loans. You're more likely going to get you know, help from a small bank, and that's what I did. I went to a small community bank. It was a referral. This dude, I'm like, hey, I want to buy this building. I need a loan. I don't really have like a lot of pay stubs and stuff like that, and so what can we do? He took a chance, my accountant vouched for me, and I ended up getting a loan, paid it off, got another loan for another building, paid it off, and that is how I have been able to sort of you know, extend or, or get more credit is because you, you, you get some, you pay it off, you're gonna get a little bit more. And so pay off your debt, form a relationship with a small bank. Another way to get money is angel investors. Angel investors typically are gonna be money like under like $3 million, or typically it's like under a million dollars where there are people, there are networks that you can go to and say, this is my business, this is what I'm looking to do, and then you actually will get money from them, hopefully. But you're always typically going to need to have a track record. You're also going to need to have some type of business plan. And the last way you could raise money, like bigger money, if you're looking to like start like something really big, is venture money, where typically that's going to be like over a million dollars, um, but it is going to be hard to get. The other thing you need to understand is, angel and also venture money, you're typically going to have to give away um, a substantial amount of, of, of equity. Which brings us to the final question that I'm going to get to today from our friend Anthony Morin. He says, Aaron, I keep hearing equity mention on your videos and on Shark Tank. Can you explain a little bit about how equity works in the real world? What is it? Is, is, is it important in the business realm? Thank you. Basically, all equity means is ownership, right? So if you start a business, you start a whatever business it is, it doesn't matter, right? You start a business selling coffee, right? There's 100% equity or ownership. All equity really means is ownership. And so when you start it, you've got 100% of this coffee business. And then as you bring in investors or as you add partners, sometimes you're going to give away equity. Equity just means ownership. So if you've got 100%, you're like, hey, for $10,000, I will give you 10% equity in this business. 
and so they give you $10,000, you then legally are going to give them a percentage ownership in this business. That's, that's really all equity means, is its ownership. And the best idea is to try and hold on to as much ownership, as much equity of your business as possible. And that's the thing, like if you watch Shark Tank, Oftentimes, you will see these entrepreneurs, and when they start talking to the sharks, they start asking, you know, well, I'm giving away X percentage of equity for this much money. They'll end up getting around to the question, well, how much equity do you have, and have you raised additional money, and, and you know, what valuation and all that. It's amazing to me how many people go into Shark Tank that have already given away a substantial amount of equity or ownership of their company. Now, why would somebody do that? The answer is pretty simple. They need money. And a lot of times when you're starting, people fall into the trap if you don't have any resources or you don't have any options of giving away more than you should or more than you need to technically because you are so desperate. When you are desperate, when you need the money in order to keep your doors open and keep things rolling, this is a position of weakness. And I don't want you to be there. Guys, it is better to be negotiating if you are in a power position or a position of strength. But if you're going to ask for money, right, and you're like a week away from shutting your doors, you're more willing to give away like everything. It's like, oh, you want 50% plus my kidney? Okay, fine, you'll do whatever you need to do. Do not get in that situation. And so one thing that I would recommend, if you are starting a business, a small business, and you can have a side hustle or another job while you're starting this other business or this other business is your side hustle, you just wanna make sure that you can pay your bills so that you don't get like super desperate. Whenever you're desperate for money, and I've been there, I have been there a bunch of times in my previous businesses, you know, you end up giving away more than you should. And then after you sort of get things situated or settled, then you're like, crap, why did I give away 50%? Why did I give away this? Why did I give away that? It is better to, it's better to be in a strong position. And so, you know, how you go about getting money and raising money, it really is going to be determined upon your resources, who you know, and, you know, what you end up ultimately doing. But if you can go to a bank to get money, they're not gonna take equity in your business, right? They're just gonna give you a loan, they're gonna get interest, you're gonna to need to pay it back. But once you start going to investors, that's when you start having to give away equity, equity, AKA ownership of your business. Would you sell your business for $235 million? Just a quiet, would, would you, or would you be like, nah, no thanks, Edgewell. I'm gonna hang on right now. Gentlemen, welcome back to the TJ and Lee starting a business, building a brand blog. This one, big number, 247. Now, just let me get this out of the way. I am not talking about TJ and Lee. I'm talking about something that recently happened with another big monster like grooming brand bigger than Tish Hanley called Cremo. For those of you who have no idea who Cremo is, they're essentially like a men's grooming company, right? They started, I believe, with like beard and shave cream and then they transitioned into grooming, um, skincare, body washes, deodorants, bars of soap. They do like pretty much everything, right? And, um, and they have recently just announced that they've been, or I should say Edgewell announced that that they were buying um, Cremo for $235 million. Now, Edgewell, if it sounds familiar, they are also buying other like big products and big brands, right? They also recently bought Jack Black, the skincare company, along with Bulldog, another men's skincare company. And this is the newest acquisition for them. And so today what I thought I would do is, is talk a little bit about this whole like acquisition like strategy. Why, they, why big companies do it? Should you do it if you're a small company? and what it kind of looks like in terms of 
how it, how it sort of works. I'm also going to talk a little bit about would T. Shanley possibly be interested in selling to a monster brand for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, 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 millions of dollars. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying we would. I'm saying, though, it would probably be pretty damn tempting. Anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Anyway, something else I'm going to talk a little bit about is an incredible question that we got on the last blog, which nobody watched. I don't know why nobody cared about how to get financing to start your business. I think that's a pretty solid topic, all right? But the deal is there was a question about franchising. There was also a question about how do you know or how do you go about or how should I, I, I better read it. It says, what do you think of buying a business instead of building one? Capital will be also raised. Um, as debt or equity, just as building a business from scratch. So this is a this is an incredible question. Sort of sort of ties into this whole concept of you start a business, you build it up, and then a big monster, giant business is like, yo, you look pretty good, you're pretty sassy. What do you think? You come and hang out with me a little bit, and they offer you some crazy amount of money. Usually, it is some multiple of of gross revenue, and you are faced with a position or in a position to be like, yeah, I think this makes sense, or no, I'm not really interested in selling my business. So here's the deal. It is very common in terms of the world that we live in for businesses, bigger businesses, to cannibalize or buy smaller businesses. And there are a few reasons for that. Reason number one is that they see it as a value add, right? Maybe there's a big company and they're not doing skincare or they're not doing this, but they have a customer base of a similar demographic. Maybe they're doing hair care and they're like, yo, you know what would really be sweet? What if we bought a grooming company or that did shave or, or skincare or something and now we could basically have A, their customer base, because that's one of the things that these companies buy. If you have a massive customer base, and that is one of the reasons why Dollar Shave Club sold for like a billion dollars, they had like 2.5 million customers. And so the company that bought them was like, yo, these are 2.5 million people. Did I say 2.5 million? Anyway, or did I say 1,000? It was 2.5 million customers Dollar Shave Club had, and they ended up selling for a billion dollars. Dollar Shave Club had already done like all the hard work, all the legwork to build up their customers. And this other business was like, yo, we want your customers. We can sell them more stuff. We think that because we're a bigger, and, and who, I just, I'm, who, who bought Dollar Shave Club? Let me, let me check. Unilever, a big grooming company. They've got a lot of different brands underneath them. I believe like Axe is under them. Uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I suck so bad. Hold on, Google search. Uh, what brands, what brands? Does Unilever own? All right, just wait for it, wait for it. I'm sorry, is this exciting? Ben and Jerry, okay, so they own like everything. Uh, they own a lot of things. They own Dove, they own Lynx, which is Axe. They own um, Radix, Sure, Surf. They own Vaseline. They own a lot of different like big brands, right? And so they were like, yo, we're not really in the razor game. We want to be. And so Dollar Shave Club did something that they weren't doing. They had a massive customer base. And so they're like, here you go. Here's a billion dollars. Give it over. Now, the beautiful thing is that Dollar Shave Club did an incredible job like building their business. They had raised like a ton of money throughout a lot of different like investors, equity firms and stuff like that. And so what happened, and this is something just I, I remember off the top of my head, I believe it was at the time that Dollar Shave Club sold their business, I believe the founder of Dollar Shave Club, Mike, I believe he had 9%, only 9% of his equity. We've talked about equity. I believe, and I could be wrong, but 
bear with me. I'm pretty sure it was like 9% he had left. And so you sell for a billion dollars, you got 9%, that is $90 million that Mike walked with. And all the investors, all the people that put up all the money in order to facilitate Dollar Shave Club's growth, they you know, got paid out based on their, their percentage of equity. And so you know, that is why Dollar Shave Club got bought, all right? Unilever wanted to be in shave. They loved the fact that Dollar Shave Club had this massive business. Boom, let me sell it, and the legwork is done. Bigger companies are just gobbling up and buying smaller entities, bringing them in-house, and adding them to their portfolio of brands to make this big company even bigger. Now, in terms of how to determine how much your company could potentially be sold for, there are so many different variables in it. One of the reasons why Dollar Shave Club got such a high multiple was because of the fact that they were a subscription service, right? Like T. Shanley. T. Shanley is a subscription service, and so they typically will get a little bit better valuation because they've got reoccurring revenue. A company comes and they're like, yo, you got 2.5 million people that are every month gonna be, gonna be generating money. You're not starting from zero every month. And so those companies typically are gonna be a little bit more valuable. Depending on the space that you're in, this is also gonna determine what the, the standard like multiple is for your gross revenue. Typically, a company is going to get a multiple or like a multiplication, right? Maybe one, two, three, four of their gross revenue, all right? And so depending on your business, depending on the industry, depending on the sector, depending on who is buying it and how valuable you are, this is really going to determine you know, what somebody is, is willing to pay and what you can expect to get. Uh, but sometimes the valuations can get like crazy. All right, so like we talked about, Cremo was bought for $235 million. Now, I've seen different like reports in terms of how much annual revenue Cremo is doing, and somewhere I believe it's between like 50 and like $70 million. Now, once again, the majority of Cremo's business was retail brick and mortar. But if you do the math, right, you take like say 60 million, we'll use that number, you divide 235 by 60 million and you get a multiple of like 3.9. That is essentially what they got based on their gross revenue, how much money they're actually doing in sales per year. So let's think about this for a second. Say you're a business and you're doing, say just for easy numbers, $10 million. If a company comes to you and says, hey, we'll give you a 3.9 multiple on your gross revenue, $10 million. What does that leave you with? Do the math, ready? Can you fit $39 million? Would you take it? Well, it depends. And why does it depend? Well, let's talk about why it depends. Say you're in a fast growth trajectory, right? And somebody comes in and you know that in like two years, you're projecting to be at like 20 million or 30 million, right? And you've got sort of the infrastructure and you are growing like really fast, right? If somebody comes to you and you know this, like, hey, we'll buy your business today, cash in hand, for 39 million, right? But you know in two years you're gonna be at 20 million, and then what's your value? Do the math. $78 million. By you not selling now, and you just hanging on and sitting tight, right? If the multiple stayed the same and you knew that you were growing. Now, what some of these companies will do is if they sort of spot you and they think, hmm, I think this business is gonna do pretty well. Right now, we know that they're probably around like $10 million, but we think that we can get them or help them or we think that they're, they've got potential to grow. They'll try and come in like early on and be like, hey, go, hey, wait, come here. They'll come in early before you get to that big so that they don't have to actually pay out that much and they'll offer you sort of you know, money upfront right now, cash in hand, take it. And you know, you've gotta decide. Is, is a bird in the hand, what is it, what is, what is the saying? A bird in the hand worth, the, worth two in the bush? I forget, what, is, what is the saying? I gotta check. A bird in the hand worth two in the bush, meaning is it better to have that money right now or are you gonna gamble? Because honestly, it's a gamble. 
you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if your business is going to actually get there. What happens? Like coronavirus, right? Nobody really saw that coming, and that, that could have absolutely destroyed your plans. And there are a lot of businesses probably that are sitting there thinking, damn, I should have took the money and ran if I would have known. Now they're crippled. Now they're hurt. So you're gambling a little bit. But it's very exciting. It's very exciting that the men's grooming space is growing the way that it is. It's very exciting that, you know, these companies that start, you know, just like TJ Hanley or just like yours are growing and being, being valuable. Now, just so you know, nobody has offered any money for TJ Hanley and whether or not we would sell it, we don't know. You know, Rob and Kelly and myself have talked about, you know, what happens if somebody comes and offers us, you know, a lot of money? What would we do? And we haven't decided. We don't know because honestly, it would have to be the right fit with the right company and, and it would have to be, you know, the right amount of money, honestly. We don't know. We've talked about it. Like, hey, what, what, what would our number be? Right? Because I guess that's something that you'd have to consider. Now, you know, for me, in this entrepreneurial world, I see a lot of like my friends, not my friends, but people that I'm like kind of closely connected with. It's almost like a badge of honor to have an exit, right? Everybody talks about the exit. Well, T. Shanley, we never started T. Shanley to have the exit. We started it because we wanted to do something special. We started it because we wanted to grow a business. But the way that you sort of plan in terms of in your head, if you are planning on trying to have an exit versus a lifestyle business and grow it profitably, the way that you go about running it, the way that you go about raising money for it, it's very different. Certain businesses that know, hey, I want to sell this someday for X, know that you need to generate a lot of sales, right? We need to grow it to this monstrous number so that a company will find us attractive and pay us a big multiple. And so oftentimes what they do is they raise a lot of money. This is exactly what Dollar Shave Club did. They raised money after money after money after money after money, diluting, 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 diluting. The only option for them was to get bought because they were not running a profitable business. Um, it was not like, hey, we got millions of dollars in profit every year. It wasn't that at all. They were very heavily leveraged. And so, you know, that was the only option for them, honestly. And I truly feel that in today's world, today's market, today's climate, you really don't want to count on that. It's better to run a business from the perspective of we want to run this business smart. We want to be lean. We want to be profitable. We want to grow our business, not necessarily organically, but if it means that you've got to be a little bit slower in your growth versus like super big, super fast, like here you go, I think that's smart. I think that's better. I truly believe that a lot of the big companies that are looking to buy smaller companies, they are looking for profitable companies, not just big companies. You know, Now, that's just my opinion. I don't know that for 100% fact, but but it's better to be prepared, it's better to be profitable versus just like monstrous and big, in my opinion. Now you're thinking to yourself, damn, what would I do if I sold my business? Well, the truth is, oftentimes when a company comes to you and says, hey, we wanna buy your business, there is a process, right? It's not just like somebody like hands you like 235 million bucks, you toss them the keys and it's like deuces. Typically, that's not how it works. I'm sure sometimes it does, but, but generally speaking, the way that it works, there is a, a buyout period. And if somebody you know, buys your company, you have to continue to work at the company for X number of months or years or whatever it may be. Now, sometimes you know, you're gonna stay on. Like I think with Dollar Shave Club, they allowed or kept the management team. Certain businesses that are buying your company, especially if they don't have or they don't already do what you do, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to bring in all new people. You have made this business successful because of your successes, your talents, your strategy. Why would they want to rock the boat? You've been kicking ass. 
And so oftentimes they will keep the management team in place. Sometimes they'll get rid of people, like if there's redundancy, right? Like if your business has an accountant and another business has an accountant and they merge, yeah, you may keep your job, but typically these type of, 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 of skills will be taken in-house by the bigger company. But a lot of the strategy, a lot of the marketing, a lot of the leadership, upper management, um, you know, the, 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 the executives of the company, a lot of times they are going to stay on or at least have to stay on for a specific amount of time until this new company that buys you is going to come in and, and sort of get all their people involved. And so... <laughs> was that interesting? Gentlemen, was that interesting? Speaking of interesting, muscle soreness. It happens to the best of us. It really happens if you're just starting a workout plan, right? When you first start, you're like, yeah, at first you're working out and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. My biceps, they're so swollen, right? And then the next day you're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't straighten my arms or oh, I can't sit down on the toilet. If you work out, if you squat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The deal is, the muscle soreness is a result of lactic acid, right? The way that working out works, right? You, you lift weights, resistance training, it shreds the muscle fibers. When the muscle fibers are shredded, it releases lactic acid too much, makes you super sore. Well, gentlemen, today, the, actually, the link below is going to take you through a video about how to reduce muscle soreness. It is from T. Shanley. We're not only making you handsome, we're making you less sore. We're also going to be now answering some of your amazing, too specific business questions. The first business question comes from our friend, your artist. He says, can you explain what franchising is and how it works? In a nutshell, franchising is when a company or a person starts a business right? They start a business and it is successful. And what they have done is they have basically figured out a structured system in how to tell somebody else how to do exactly the same thing, all right? So let's use Subway restaurants, for example, right? Subways, they make the subs. All right, there was a dude or a woman, I'm not sure who, that started the first Subway shop. They, they were like, yo, this is a Subway, and it was successful. And they're like, yo, this is a pretty cool business. I'm gonna open up another one, right? And so they open up another one. They duplicate the system, all the ingredients, all the, the colors, it is identical. Well, then they got the idea, and I don't know if this is Subway's story, it's probably not, I'm just using as, them as an example. Somebody came to them like, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to open one of these. I think it's pretty cool, I love your sandwiches. The dude that started Subway's like, I guess I, I, guess I, could, I, guess I, could, I, could, I could show you, I could teach you exactly what I do and why I'm successful. And so the, dude's like, yeah. the other dude is like, yeah, let's do this. And so the dude who started Subway's like, all right, uh, I want, I want $50,000 for me to tell you how to do it, but you're also, gonna need probably about 250,000 additional dollars in order to set everything up and make your store sexy and pretty like mine along with buy your meat, right? You also are gonna have to pay me a royalty. Every year, I want a percentage of what your business is. I feel I deserve it because, well, I started this and I'm giving you the blueprint and allowing you to do this. And then the person's like, okay, here you go. They pay them the $50, the franchise fee, and then they start their business, they spend the additional $250,000 to set it up, and then once a year, or however often it is, that person, that franchisee, is going to pay the original franchisor a percentage of the profits. It's predetermined. Then somebody else sees, and oh wow, there are three, there are three Subways? I think I would like one of those. And so they then go to Mr. Mr. Subway, whoever started it, and said, I also would like one. 
And so 50,000, you got to set it up, 250, and then it, it, the, the cycle repeats. Essentially, in a nutshell, that's what a franchise is. Somebody starts a business and then sells you the rights to use their logo, use their marketing material. Um, you know, basically, they're giving you the secret sauce, as it would. The other upside to buying a franchise, especially when it's a big franchise, like a McDonald's or like a, a Subway, I was going to say Chick-fil-A, but they're a different animal in and of themselves, is that now all of a sudden the big company, the corporation, typically will handle the marketing and the brand awareness. And as you know, because you're smart and you've been watching our vlog, you know that the marketing is the hardest part of this. But if you're somebody that already knows what a subway is, you're driving down the interstate, you see a sign for a subway, you're like, oh, I already know what a subway is because I've seen the commercials, they're already you know, in my town, I know that I love it, I know that what I'm gonna get there is exactly what I got at the other one. And so that's the other reason why somebody would wanna buy a franchise brand recognition, and you know what you're going to get. You're also going to be paying in, typically, as a franchisee, some money to marketing, right? And so you are marketing on a big macro scale, but you reap the rewards from a micro level, meaning like your store, you are getting the rewards of the big advertising campaign nationally that Subway is doing. Does that make sense? So why would you want to buy a franchise, right? Why wouldn't you want to just start your own business and just figure it out yourself? And the reason is because Figuring it out yourself costs a lot of money and a lot of years of experience. And this is a way to sort of like circumvent all those years or that road, you know, say we, we talk about success being a journey, right? And you gotta, you gotta drive the road, you gotta hit speed bumps. This is like, this is like the overpass, right? You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta clear ride. Somebody else has already done the hard work and on, gone through those speed bumps and taken the road. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. It's a lot easier. Just take this bridge I built you. And that's kind of, <laughs> my analogies are either horrible or they're awesome. Which one? Gentlemen down below, let me know. Say, yo, Alpha, your analogies, I get it, or I, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Anyway, let me now bring it and tie it together. <laughs> tie it together, yeah, right. Uh, with the last business question, he says, can, hold on, no, that's not where it is. Wait for it. All right. What do you think of buying a business instead of building one? Capital will be raised as debt or equity, just like building a business from scratch. And I think we kind of just answered that. I think it depends. I think it depends on you. I think it depends on the business. And I think it depends on if you want to cut out a lot of the learning curve that has to be done and, and taken into consideration when building a business from scratch. And I think really this whole vlog has been about you know, the pros and cons and, and what you can expect. And if you want to buy somebody else's business, I think that you should do it. I think you should look into it. I think you should really do your due diligence to make sure that the business is what they say they are. Because oftentimes when somebody comes in or, or approaches a company and like, hey, we would like to potentially buy your business, you know, you just got to make sure that everything is on the up and up, right? You got to look at the books. You've got to do your research because I would hate for you to buy a business only to find out that the books were cooked or something wasn't as rosy as you thought it would be. And that, gentlemen, is where I'm going to wrap things up. My question to you is, would you sell for $235 million even if your business was doing like 70? I guess it all depends on like if you're making, you know, $40 million profit a year, you're like, yeah, I'm good, right? Why? It depends. Like I said, there are a lot of factors that goes into deciding whether or not to sell, whether or not somebody's going to buy you, and hopefully you are lucky enough to figure that out someday. Gentlemen, speaking of lucky, we are lucky to have you. Hopefully you got something from this incredibly rambling vlog. Gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate your support. 
Once again, if you found this episode or any of the content I've put out in the past helpful, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to this on. Once again, every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. And if you're looking to upgrade your sunglass game, don't forget to check out Enemy.com. Honestly, the quality of these glasses for the price is insane. Just read the reviews. Gentlemen, stay awesome.